0: Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Next Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Earl Thomas to my Byron Maxwell. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? Uh, Feeling great.
1: And our very own Cam Chancellor, it's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how are you doing today? Somewhere ruining Vernon... Oh, this is some Marina Vernon Maxwell. Davis. Vernon Davis' day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we are joined today by two very special guests. We got Jeremy Lane and Richard Sherman in the house. No, not the real Richard Sherman, Jeremy Lane. No, we got Christopher Michael K- Christopher Kidd and Michael Sean Duggar from the Man to Man podcast. Gentlemen, how are you doing?
2: Doing good. Uh, I'm doing good as well. There is a uh, an irony in yeah. Chris Kidd being Jeremy Lane when Jeremy Lane's career ended after getting a DUI in which he admitted to being high. And Chris does not smoke. <laughs>
3: oh, irony! Mm. Oh.
0: Chris, Chris, you're missing out. All right, so, so. <laughs> no, so um, I wanted to start off with this though, uh, since I have you guys here, Mike. You famously on your podcast are calling out uh, Seahawks players to, to hoop with you, okay? And so, I and you always bring up the guys you want to play: Quandre, Tyler Lockett, Russell Wilson. Uh, Bobby Wagner. Something all those guys have in common, I've noticed, is that they're all six feet and under. So what I wanted to ask you was, who in the media room are you literally throwing under the bus when they show up with like Dwayne Brown to play center?
2: No, I mean, so the reason that I call out those guys is I, I did a an, an unofficial survey and went around the locker room, I want to say 2019, and said, hey, who's the top five guys on the team? Like I oh, surveyed, yeah. I didn't. I didn't do a story on this. I was just kind of asking for my own curiosities. And none of the big guys came up. Uh, the only one that got mentioned as a, any big guy was Nas Jones. He was on IR at the time, um, so no one was really, like, backing that up. Um, and then no, I, I even asked. I was like, hey, none of you guys are saying George Fant, and he played D1 <laughs> basketball. And they are like, nah, we're all nicer. I was like, okay, cool. Then you guys are the ones who get the smoke. Uh, so I don't I don't think we necessarily need the height, even though Joe Fant's, like, 6'3", or something like that. Like, I, I believe in our team, even if we don't have a bunch of height. Yeah, yeah. We um.
0: I played uh, in college. I played against Jerome Harrison pickup basketball game. And so I not. I'm not want to be one of those people that says like you guys aren't gonna score or you guys are gonna get blown up because I've played against an NFL caliber football player in pickup basketball. And like, yeah, he's good, but it's not. It wasn't like the end of the world, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, so like like everyone acts like it is, but uh, but like I have also played pickup basketball with the offensive lineman for UW, and that was a lot less fun. <laughs> so, so like that's why I was wondering like who who's gonna guard uh, Dwayne Brown? But if they're not gonna bring uh, a big guy like that, then I think you guys you guys got a good shot to at least be competitive. So
2: yeah, that's um, that's on them. That's on the players for not. I specifically asked why no one was saying George Fan. Like I'm with you guys. I'm like if he if they got George, we're screwed. You know. So yeah. but no one they was like B Mac, Bobby, Russ, Tyler, Ju or um, um Johnny uh, John Arsua, um. Like no one was saying any big guys I was like this is great so that's something
0: yeah. they got to play with maybe they're trying to they're trying to sucker you in though you know and then, <laughs> and then here comes Brandon Shell and uh, <laughs> I, I, before this podcast I was trying to look up like what which which, uh, UW, which offensive lineman for the Seahawks played you know like high school basketball or stuff and you're right the, a lot of those guys don't have the current offensive line don't have like a higher level basketball experience the way like George Van did
3: but they do have the advantage of being as wide as four people like yeah, I feel like that's a pretty big advantage in the post
0: it's so hard to guard like a guy who's huge like that. It's just, it's just a, a huge pain. I I'm six three and I'll say like, it's just, it's, it's so difficult. Um. All right. And then Chris, I, I follow you on Twitter and I know you're tweeting a lot about uh, sneakers. And so I wanted to ask you a question. Uh. Just what, what, uh what got you started in uh, collecting sneakers and, and getting sneakers?
4: To be completely honest, it was the fact that in high school, I got, I think your first job, you got a, Well, not your first job. Your job in general, one time in your life, you got to at least sell sneakers like Champs, Foot Locker, Nike Mm -hmm. Outlet. You have to experience that. And because that's your first experience with customer service and dealing with people on a daily basis that just want shoes. Like it's something minute and someone wanting a pair of shoes, but it can also go a thousand different ways. You can get Mm -hmm. the worst customers, you can get the best. And when working there, I never really wanted to buy shoes because I knew that it came with the job. Like I can easily get this said shoe because A, I get 30% off. And if I really (laughs) like the shoe, it's cheap now. So at first I really, I wasn't buying shoes. Like I, I didn't buy anything. I was one of the kids, one of the young men that just literally worked there and got a paycheck and went on about my business. But then it got to a point where I started seeing Pumas. I started seeing Asics, Brooks, started seeing shoes that I didn't know anything about. And I just finished high school. I was running track and doing all these other things. I was like, how did I miss out on all these? The free runs were, hot, were really really on a roll when I was, what, maybe a junior senior in high school graduating. They were on a roll, and I was like, man, I'm always worried about Nikes and Adidas. That's Jordan and mm-hmm. Air Maxes. Then it got to a point where I was like, you know what, let me expand and just look at everything. And I would say getting into junior college, so 2011, 2012, I really started going after sneakers, and every week I would buy a new pair. But I would get sneakers that were cheap as hell, like 70 bucks, and I get 30% off, so I get a shoe <laughs> for like 50 bucks. So I wasn't really spending money, and then I started seeing LeBron shoes, and I was like, everyone's rocking Jordans, so I don't want that shoe. And they keep dropping the same shoe, just remixing it. So I was like, I'm really not buying Jordans. I only bought two pairs of Jordans my whole life. They were the Raptor 7s that came out, I want to say in 2012, I bought those. And then the Red 4s, the Red Fire 4s. Those are the only two pairs of Js I've ever bought. And I never really felt that I I didn't feel like these were the coolest shoes. I was just like, everyone else got them and they'll be re-released in another what, four years? And what do you know? Four years rolls around, those yep. shoes re-released. So I ended up, long story short, I ended up finding a new company called Saya, black owned dude is from Brooklyn. He moved to Los Angeles and he makes his own designer shoes. So it's not Gucci. It's not Louie, but the quality is of said Gucci and Louie. He just dropped a pair of shoes that are made of straight Python. They're 600 bucks. I'm not going to buy them, but I have bought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have bought some of his other shoes that you know, they cost you a pretty penny. I mean, yeah, i oh-
0: oh, go ahead. I saw his interview in 2019 on Breakfast Club, and I I think that he's really good. Like how he got into designing clothes and stuff is really awesome. And, and like that, he's a veteran too, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, it's a, a super super cool story that he had. And yeah, I, his- yeah I, I agree. His 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 stuff is is great. Like his his shoes, but they're hard to get, right? Isn't it sell out instantly like everything else is? Yeah, like so-
4: to- <laughs> it's funny you mention that because Mike, he just got. I put him on sometime around last year. And I told him I was like, the only way you can get a pair is if you have Apple Pay. You don't, you won't, you will not be able to buy the shoes by typing in your info. If you don't have Apple Pay, you can forget it. And then the other backside is let's say you miss out on the first come, first serve. Well, mm-hmm. he does pre-orders, but you have to wait for six weeks or longer because A, he has to make the shoe, B, he has to send the shoe to one of his shipping sites. And then after that, they have to clear customs and then they'll be shipped to you. So it could be a very long process. And then you have to remember when I started buying from him in last year and actually 2000, yeah, last year in 2020, when I started buying from him in January, I bought my first four pair, they came, you know, bang, 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 bang. But then COVID hit. So all mm-hmm. the orders that he had pre-orders, all the shops yeah. closed because everyone was working. No one was working at the shops anymore. The facilities closed. So he wasn't able to push his shoes. So I had to wait about nine months to get some pairs of shoes. But I'll tell you this, it was well worth the rate. Well worth the wait, and now I'm over twenty plus pairs of Sia shoes, so that's my closet now. I got rid of all my Jordan, or well, excuse me, all my Lebrons because I was a huge Lebron guy. Mm-hmm. I got rid of all my Adidas, so all I have is Sia now. That's all I rock. Nice, yeah. I'm I'm
0: I'm a Dunks personally, and I I was in my my friend's dorm in like 2006 with Scott Coleman, and I'm he. I went into his room and he's like, "You like shoes, right?" Because I had the um, remember those Allen Iverson shoes where he had his face on the bottom? Yeah, you know, I don't those question fours, I think, and then. He, uh, I had those for, for AAU Ball. And I, I remember like being like, I like shoes. And he was like, Yeah, check these out. And I was like, Those are cool. And he's like, Yeah, I waited in line all night and I'm going to sell them for $2,000. And I was like, You could sell those shoes for $2,000. And so <laughs> and from that point forward, I was like, This is cool. I want to be a part of it. I'm interested in this. I'm part of it. So then I've been collecting dunks ever since then. But I'm going to be honest, like at this point, it's impossible to get a pair of shoes uh, online. Like they, mm-hmm. everything just sells out immediately. It's the same with like PlayStations, uh, computer parts. Now it's just like, if you want something that anybody else wants, good luck getting it. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's kind of a nightmare, but that's cool that you got 20 pairs. That's, that's legit. Nice job. I'm oh like yeah. I'm,
4: I am all in. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: awesome. So, <laughs> so, okay, let's now this is a Seahawks podcast. So I think we should go to the, the Seahawks content at this point. So, uh, this week, uh, Jaron Reed was cut, and and there was some like uh, cryptic tweets. Adam Schechter tweeted out after uh, he went to the Chiefs, and afterwards, Schechter tweeted that Jaron said it was um, if it was about the money, I would still be with the Seahawks. So it wasn't about the money. Um. So what do you? Uh, I'll start with Mike. Mike, what do you think is a uh, what? What do you think that means? Like that's uh, that's pretty pointed. I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, you gotta kind of read between the lines a little bit. I haven't necessarily reported anything on this or made a ton of phone calls, but it it sounds very similar to um, Jamal Adams' situation. And also, um, then there's another situation where someone got cut and signed for, like, a smaller amount. I want to say, let's just go with Jamal Adams because I can't remember off the top of my head. Because if you remember with Jamal, his beef isn't that – his beef is that the the Jets offered one thing and said one thing, mostly Joe Douglas, their GM, was like, yo, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And they never delivered on the this part, you know, and I'm, and that's what got Jamal so upset and was like, all right, get me out of here, you know, if you're not going to pay me. And if you notice, Jets fans are like, well, Seattle didn't pay you right away. So why would you want to go there? Um, and, and Jamal's like response for the most part is, well, I mean, they appreciate me here. I'm somewhere where I'm going to be appreciated. Um, and I imagine Jaron's situation is somewhat similar in that. Along the lines, there was some promise or reassurance or agreement or something that, like, Jaron Reed would have a long term commitment in Seattle. And then when it came to the point where he did not, I was like, all right, get me out of here then. I'll go with someone where I feel appreciated. And even if that resulted in less money from a team like Kansas City, I imagine Jaron's first press conference with the Chiefs that he will say something to the equivalent of, like, how much they want him or they appreciated him or how hard they came after him, something that expresses that he feels like an abandoned, like, stepchild. Uh, yeah. So, that's my guess. Again, I do not know. I'm not reporting that. No, Jay Reed didn't tell me that. His agent didn't tell me that. But that's <laughs> yeah. just kind of my read of these situations where, like, objectively, you look at the situation, you're like, well, if it wasn't about money, why would you take less to be here? Well, then the answer typically is a matter of, like, appreciation or respect or lack thereof yeah. in the case of the guy who leaves the name. And I do think like
0: you see Jaron sometimes like tweets that are about like – like there was that tweet that was said like we went from Jaron Reed to Al Woods and, and Jaron liked that tweet. And, uh, and it, I think like on, on some level like Jaron really has a lot of self-belief. Like he's like uh, pumps himself up like that and I think he felt like, oh, you want me to take less money and take a voyager year or whatever? Like I want a long-term contract. I'm really good and you guys have been pumping me up in that I, – I think you're right. He just felt disrespected by by the organization a little bit. But just dis- – yeah. So, for what it's
2: worth, that was kind of at the core of like Earl's beef too, um, mm-hmm. with with Pete and them. It was the idea that like I think even Earl said it later, which you'll see in an interview when he signed with Baltimore. It was like, yeah, Pete told me he was gonna take care of me. So when I broke my leg, I flipped him the bird because he did not take care of me. Yeah. You know, it wasn't necessarily about the how much or whatever. It was like you said a thing, you didn't deliver on the thing. Like if you strip away the NFL and the football part of it, that's something that just normal human beings get upset about. Yeah,
0: and and I think like you can say it's a business as much as you want, but these are people. Every everything is a people business too, you know. And so, definitely, and team sports, you know, it's like you gotta you gotta manage the, the personalities too. But well, Reese
3: twenty eight. He's got to figure he gets like maybe one more real good contract.
0: <clears throat> yeah, one more. He got one more big payday ahead of him, I think. Especially playing next to Frank Clark, and between Frank Clark and Chris Jones, he's gonna have like ten sacks next year because this he's he's got the ability to do that and then he's got the support the backup to do it but despite cutting uh Jaren reed the d-line the d-line went from uh from a weakness to a strength this week lots of new signings we got uh bring back carlos dunlap uh bring in Kerry Hyder, bring in uh al woods bring back al woods and i think people are really pumped about this d-line uh now so kevin what what is what do you see um how's the depth chart looking to you like what do you what do you think about the d-line now that we've had a week uh, filled with signings here
3: Uh, I think that Pete Carroll's defense historically has always worked really well on a really deep D-line rotation. Um, Even if you think about kind of in the early days, when the pass rush got together, it was Chris Clemens and kind of like dudes. And they were able to patch together something that was able to get to the quarterback. And a big part of that was, you know, rotating in fresh bodies, Um, you know, making sure that they had multiple groups of pass rushers or multiple groups of D linemen that could work together. And this feels kind of like a return to that sort of formula where they're going to be running really deep at both um, edge positions and having a lot of guys that could kick inside to three tech on pass rushing downs. And so it means like, I know offenses like to trap uh, defensive personnel on the field a lot, but as much as possible, I think we're going to see a lot of defensive line rotation, which means we're going to have a lot of fresh bodies and, Um, A lot of fresh pass rushers on the field late in the game, which early in the year last year felt like a big problem where they just kind of didn't have the juice. They didn't have the gas at the end of games to kind of close it out.
0: Yeah. Anyone else got
1: any defensive line thoughts? Um, It'll be really interesting to see. uh, I was going to say it'll be interesting to see what they do on the inside of the line. A big part of this pass rush extravaganza that we have is we definitely don't want to leave the middle of the line easy to run up up on so uh I, I read a couple articles that said maybe collier was gonna be moving inside like kevin said they're gonna have to rotate some more people I around year, I, passing downs i looked at my snap count sheet from a profile focus it said that he re- he played uh
0: 180 snaps at, at defensive tackle last year which is a significant and i think like if they see those snaps as good and and they're confident there then that's definitely a direction they'll go what do you what do you think chris
4: yeah, I think this defensive line just improved. I mean, you're able to bring back Carlos Dunlap, who had a phenomenal year, and he created a lot of space for a Jay Reed to get the sacks mm-hmm. that he did. And you're able to bring back Benson Mayowa, who also had a pretty damn good year. And you bring in someone that no one really knows about and Kerry Heider. You can go watch the film and see that, as Baldinger said, the kid can ball. He has moves. He's fast. And The Seahawks need that, and if he's able to replicate what he did last season with the Niners, you're looking at a defensive line that could make a lot of noise, and defensively, that's what Pete Carroll wants. He wants the defense to be elite, and if the defense is elite, then the offense doesn't have to carry much of a load, and his situation of not letting Russ cook, it, it favors his His style of play because now his defense is elite and is only giving up 14 points a game, 17 points per game, where the offense can win these ugly games that Pete loves to do so.
0: Yeah, and that's that we got bailed out a little bit last year with the Dunlap trade, right? It seemed like defensive line was kind of an issue. And then all of a sudden, this like excellent player fall, kind mm-hmm. of falls into our lap. And I, I think that's kind of a testament to John Schneider in general that he just is in every deal, right? He's always asking, always listening. And, and I, he sometimes we just we end up with the with the great mm-hmm. luck to get a guy like that. Yeah. Um,
3: well, that makes two years in a row, too, because it was clowny the year before where you were wondering how where the pass rush was going to come from. And, you know, he kind of ended up coming over for, you know, a little more than a song and a dance, but it was still not that much.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So um, along with those deals, the Seahawks today, they made it. They gave Gabe Jackson a three-year extension. It freed up a little cap room, and so I was starting to think like we might be getting some players back. So one thing I like to do is just kind of ask everyone a question. So here we go. Um, if with the extra cap room, which Seahawks reunion would you prefer, uh, Golden Tate or Richard Sherman? Uh, so I'll start with you, Mike. Would you re- prefer a reunion with Golden Tate coming back as the wide receiver three, or Richard Sherman coming back to play to play cornerback?
2: Uh, I would go with Richard just because I, I felt a little cheated. I only covered one year uh, of of Richard, uh, his 2017 season that was cut short by the Achilles tier. And I I wasn't traveling uh, at the time, so I wasn't even there uh, when he tore his Achilles. Um, And I also just think, like, while Golden is a very good player, Richard Sherman is legitimately one of the best, uh, not just best players in franchise history, one of the best stories of franchise history. Because, like, if you look at some of the other guys in franchise history, they're all – not all, but – you get guys who are first round picks, um, you know, or even day two, like Russ or whatever, Bobby. Um, I forget where Kenny easily was, but like Sherm is one of the best players and arguably one of the best drafts ever too. go look at that 2011 draft. So like between the story and just like his love of Harry Potter and the trash talk <laughs> and the fact that if he comes back, we can get this basketball game going because I'm pretty sure he'll play um mm-hmm. <laughs> as well there's their big guy uh not worried about him though uh so yeah what? i selfishly want <laughs> uh,
0: not worried about sherman not worried about
2: dk either right uh so i'm not gonna use the words not worried about <laughs> dk like we're, you gotta account for him and have a body on him and all this other stuff but worried is not the, what? the thing like we respect him right like we were not going to let him you're not gonna let him shoot or let him drive the lane like i'll let Sherm shoot you know, like that's just, if he makes it, he makes it. But that's, that's one thing you, I brought
0: to the guys is like, if, if, if you guys can figure out which guys you don't have to let shoot, it makes it a lot easier for y'all because then you can, you know, sag off that guy and double team the guys who are cutting and stuff. And yeah, it's, I, 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 I'm, I'm I'm going to be on your side of this. I'm confident in you guys. I want you, especially since you said joke can shoot, right? Is that true?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Joe, that's the other thing. And I've said this a million times. I feel like I have seen most of the people in the, in question play basketball. Uh, like I've seen Russ play, um, I've seen Bobby play. I've seen Sherm play. I have, I've seen, like, I watched the receivers play after practice, J- John Arsua, Tyler, DK, Demo, who's not here anymore, but like, I watched these guys. I haven't seen Quandre. That's the, that's the one who's kind of a mystery. Um, but I've seen them. And then I've played with guys in the media too, whether it's Tim Boo for Adam Jude or Chris or Ben Arthur or Joe Fan. So, like, I I feel very confident in what I have seen. Everyone else is just projecting because guys are big and fast and we're media. It's like, oh, you guys stink and they're, you know, they're athletic. No, no, no. I've watched. Well, don't know? sell yourself short. I saw you running, like, a five-second 40 on
0: Twitter. Like, you're not unathletic. You're, you're,
2: well, like, yeah. There's this assumption, though, that, like, me and Chris talk about this all the time. It's just, like, they assume that because Bobby's fast and strong and big that, like, his skills transfer to literally everything. When I I make the point to Chris, like, no one thinks Bobby would beat, like, a random minor league hockey team, right? Like in five on five, or whatever, because, just because Bobby can tackle doesn't mean he can skate. It's the same thing in basketball. Just because DK can run fast and jump high doesn't mean he can dribble or play defense. Like the skills are not transferable, right? No one thinks that DK can golf, right? Cause he's strong and has good hand-eye coordination because it's a different sport, you know? So I, I've, cause I've seen guys play. I haven't seen DK play to be fair, but that that's that's why I'm also confident. I actually have intel. I'm not just projecting like everyone else. Is.
0: <laughs> anyway, let's uh, let's go to the next, Chris. What, what would you rather have, Golden Tate or Richard Sherman?
4: I'm going to go with Golden Tate because the Seahawks still need a third receiver. While I do think the cornerback position could be better for the Seahawks, I think bringing back Quentin Dunbar could help, especially if he stays healthy. And although yes, Richard Sherman's a great cornerback, as Mike broke down. I don't know if the Seahawks are gonna make. I think put the money down for him. I think he would probably want maybe eight and a half, maybe nine, maybe ten million a year, which is a lot. And I don't know if the Seahawks are gonna be ready to break the bed, break the bank for him in that regard. Whereas with Golden Tate, I feel he might be able to. They can swindle him in, and as Mike likes to call him, it's the yards after catch because he is a guy that can create after the catch, and the Seahawks would need that because outside of DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett's really not gonna get yards after the catch. Freddie Swain, this will be his second year, so that's unknown. And then everyone else, you're kind of like, okay, who's Aaron Fuller? Well, we know who he is, but he's actually going to play. What about Cody Thompson? Is he going to play? What about John Rosua? I think he should be out there, but for whatever reason, the Seahawks are like, nah, he's not going to play much. Penny Hart, another guy. So if you bring in someone like Golden Tate, who's familiar with the offense, I think that would be an opportunity just for him to go out and get loose and bring some excitement to the wide receiving group with DK and Tyler, I really want to see Golden back. Yeah,
1: all right, Eric, what do you think, Golden Tate or Richard Sherman? This is this is one of Nathan's patented fun questions. Two players that probably have mm. no chance of being a Seahawk ever <laughs> again. <laughs> Come on, no, I, the, show the faith. It's happening. It's going to happen <sighs> for you, Nathan. We're getting Nathan, one, we're getting one back. Okay, so you'll love this because I'm switching gears. This week I'll go with Sherman. Last week you asked me a question about bringing Richard Sherman back. I said no, compared to Golden Tate and his uh, his purported hey, history with Russell Wilson.
0: Before I'm you going say with Richard anything, Sherman.
1: before you say anything too, Golden Tate, I went and
0: watched some tape. I went and watched what his plays from last year when he was healthy. He's actually pretty good. I, I was like, oh, he's got
1: some juice still. Like yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm he still Golden has tape. it. He's just got to watch that giant stank off of him. <laughs> The, the Daniel, the Daniel the, Jones, the Danny Jones stank of uh, tripping at the ten yard line. No, uh, honestly, if we're going realistic, I'd want Sherman back. Besides, I don't, I don't know if uh, Golden Tate played here long enough to go into the Ring of Honor, but Sherman is definitely going to be there someday. And there's still part of me that loves him, man. I mean, a shutdown corner, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers could not throw to Richard Sherman's side of the field. Do you remember that? Yeah, just, That's just just it's just amazing. gave it up. Yeah, and yeah, we kind of took it for granted. So yeah. Bring Sherman one, back.
0: One, uh, one, one thing is, is a lot of people will bring up their favorite Richard Sherman memories, but I will always remember Golden Tate waving to that guy as he as he ran into the end zone yes. uh, against <laughs> Arizona. I mean that was like all, the all time great. All right, Kevin, Richard, uh,
3: Richard Sherman or Golden Tate? You know, I think Christopher brought up the point that's really big for me, and that is the money factor. I don't know if I'm ready to drop, you know, uh, ten mil whatever it's going to be to bring in uh, Sherm. I think cornerback's a position where I want to bring in another body, where I want to make sure that the floor is higher than it is right now. But, you know, we could use that wide receiver three, and Golden Tate is a good fit. He is a guy we know can get that yak. So uh, as much as I want to say Sherm here, I just think Golden Tate makes more sense for where the team's at in this thing that's not actually ever going to happen. All
0: right, well, I want to pick Richard Sherman because I want to read uh, p- pieces on The Athletic by Mike about Richard Sherman, so uh, that, that's what I'll pick. Uh, but I would be fine with either. They are both would be great. All right, uh, lately, uh, we've been talking about this every week. Uh, what The national media cannot let this Russell Wilson trade story go. Just yesterday, Dan Orlovsky's on uh, N- NFL First Take, or I don't know what they call it now, uh, NFL Live, uh, and he said that the Eagles should trade <laughs> – uh, their quarterback and four first round picks on draft day for uh, f- for Russell Wilson. We'll start with that. Russell Wilson wasn't even an option. Uh, but I feel like, Mike, you might have insight on this because you're in the media. Why won't the national media just let this story die?
2: I mean, it's fun, right? It's fun <laughs> to you know, just randomly move guys everywhere and just speculate. Um, I mean, and it's real easy to... This is This is a thing I've noticed on TV. I don't know necessarily as much about radio, but it's very easy to have the bad take or the explosive take because no one's challenging challenging you on it. Now, I imagine, now first take obviously is a very different example because if you say something stupid, Stephen A will yell at you. But <laughs> for the <laughs> most part, you can say whatever and it doesn't look stupid until it goes viral on the internet later. And everyone's like, wow, this is wildly dumb or factually inaccurate or like illegal based on the CBA or like whatever. But in the <laughs> moment though, when the camp, when the red lights on on the camera, you can just say whatever. So yeah, I would I would have fun with that too. I don't even fault guys uh, for that. I mean, I don't think. I mean, I think uh, it's really lazy and some of this to just ignore the fact that Russ has a no trade clause. But if I was on national media too, like a radio show or TV, hell yeah, man, I'd send Russ to some German national team, you know, <laughs> on, on a Tuesday in the A Block if I needed to fill some time because why not?
0: That's that's the thing is I I feel like. As someone who makes uh, like an hour of content every week, like I understand that like this is not easy, right? Like it's – you have to fill – and then when you're on first take or whatever, you have to do something every single day, right? And so you got to fill up all that time and they got to talk about something. And it's – right now is like the deadest part of the off season, right? Like we are in I'm, – I'm sure we're all in our draft holes right now watching college tape, but – but I mean, like, that's really all there is to do, right? Is to, like, look at pro day results and watch college tape because there's not really a lot of action in these couple weeks. The free agents have all kind of already been signed and we're just kind of waiting for the draft. And so, yeah, you got to put something on TV. And I think that's why they just keep bringing it up because, I mean, Brust did do that thing where he was like, you know, I don't want to be traded. Or I was an agent, maybe. But if I did get traded, these are the teams that I would go to. Like, it totally, uh, I don't know. He baited everyone into talking about Russ all summer. So I don't know. Maybe it was just to keep him. Maybe his agents want to keep him in the spotlight or something. I don't blame him for that either.
3: That was kind of the trade equivalent of the if I did it book, you know. That was sure an interesting thing to tweet out there. Yeah. All right. So this week, though,
0: there was a big trade. Uh, San Francisco traded all the way up to number three. Uh, they moved all the way up. And the rumor mill, uh J- Daniel Jeremiah moved the sticks, says that they moved up to pick Mac Jones. And I was like, at first, I was like, that can't be true. That's that's not a thing. I've watched all of these quarterbacks now, and you can't move up to pick. Then, today, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch had a choice. They could go to Mac Jones' pro day or Justin Fields' pro day, and inexplicably, they they chose Mac Jones's pro day. And now I'm now I'm really like, oh, man, did they really do this? But there was a great clip of Mac Jones throwing a deep pass and just missing by like, I don't know, 10 yards the same way Garoppolo did in the Super Bowl. And uh, and <laughs> and then and then they cut to Kyle Shanahan and he just has this look on his face, just like no emotion at all, just like a devoid. And so I'm, here's my question. Is there any chance uh, we'll, we'll start with uh, Chris. Is there any chance San Francisco really moved up to pick Mac Jones, or is this like a smoke, smoke screen to, to try to mess with the other teams?
4: Absolutely. I think it's a possibility. I look at, example, with the Kansas City Chiefs and what they did with Patrick Mahomes and Alex Smith. I mean, I'm not comparing Alex Smith to Jimmy Garoppolo, but the principal stands. What happened? They drafted Patrick. He redshirted, learned a lot, and now look at him. One of the best in the league. I'm not saying that's exactly what's going on with Mac Jones, but that's a possibility. And if you're the Niners, why not? Why not take a look at this kid? Especially if, to your point, you know, after watching what you see, what you've seen Jimmy G do, it's like, well, how long can we <laughs> allow Jimmy to not be great? I mean, if this is if this is all we're going to get with Jimmy, I mean, and I like this kid Mac, and we've seen what he can do. I wouldn't see the problem in drafting him, having him red shirt, and seeing if you can copy the formula and see if it works with what the Chiefs did. Of course, you're, you're reaching a lot here because Patrick Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks in the game right now, and that's a high standard to put a young guy coming in the league to have him like, hey, we want you to be the franchise guy next year. It's like, whoa, there's a process to it, but if that's what the Niners want to do, I'm all for it. It, it. It'll be interesting to see. What happens draft night and if they do end up taking him? What does that mean for Jimmy G? Because obviously, they're going to say all the right things. We're going to keep this guy. He is our guy. But when it comes to practice and who's playing the best, the best player is going to get the job. And if the best player is not Jimmy G and Mac Jones is who they draft, then week one, you're looking at Mac Jones starting. And everyone's going, wow, they really did this. And now, <laughs> they, now they really picked Mac Jones. Yeah. And now everything's <laughs> kind of like, wow, let's see what this kid got. And if everything works out the way they want it to, I have no problem with it. it it's just all the narrative and how things go out, go as planned. So they
0: the, the consensus is Trevor Lawrence is going first, right? And then yep. the Jets are locked into Zach Wilson at two. So then, you know, your choices are like Justin Fields. Uh, Trey Lance and uh, Mac Jones seem to be the other three quarterbacks people are talking about and I just when I watched all three I watched a little bit of all of those guys tonight. when I watch Mac Jones it just seems like I just can't imagine them picking the he just seems like the lowest upside like the most boring of those three players and they already have like you said a a quarterback who can play a little bit right in Jimmy yep. G like so why would you take the guy who's like kind of I don't know. He looked to me, he looks like like diet Kirk cousins and, 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 and and like have him be your quarterback when when like you could, you could like pick one of these guys like Lance and fields who them I, mean, I think they are messing with people though. And I'm just going to, I kind of brought this question up because I wanted to put on conspiracy. Nathan, my favorite, my favorite character hat. But I really think like they want, they don't want someone to trade up to two and steal their guy from the jets. And so, I think they really like one of these other guys, and they're like, oh, nope, we're picking Mac Jones. Don't trade up. Yep. Cause like Mac Jones is kind of getting mocked in the middle of the first round. And I think like it makes everyone else feel safe with their draft boards. And so I think they're playing games. That's what I'm saying. John Lynch is, John Lynch is messing with everyone. And I saw that video. Um, of inside the Colts draft room where uh, John Lynch kept calling the Colts GM and the Colts GM kept hanging up on him. So I know that he does, he does mess with the with other teams. It's <laughs> so unbelievable. I've, I've seen evidence. So, um, all right. Did anybody else think – okay, let's go. Uh, Mike, do you think that they'll pick Mac Jones number three or is this a – what do you think? Uh,
2: I think they will actually. Um, and you guys probably remember this. I think it was that Benoit dude who said – something to the effect of he would rather have Matt Stafford than Russell Wilson in essence, because Matt Stafford is less likely to go off script. Um, that was the gist. I, I think it was like 2016. I don't know if you guys remember that, but it was a big deal and it was very stupid. But the gist of that, I think is something that you would get offensive coordinators agreeing with because when the offensive coordinators view, it's like I draw a play, you do play like that. Mm-hmm. That is like the basis of the relationship. And if you have an offensive coordinator in, I draw up play and you do something else in the backfield and then just make shit happen. Okay. Well, that's cute, but that's very frustrating for me when it's my job to draw up play. So Kyle Shanahan, I bring that up to say, he seems like a dude who very much values people who aren't going to go away from the script. And like you said, Mac is probably the most boring of all the prospects. And I would use the term, he's the most likely to stay on script. And if that's the type of guy you value, that could be attractive to you. I think Chris Sims made a similar point um, on, on Twitter and whether I agree with the decision to do it or not, I see a role that makes sense to someone like Kyle who seems to value that more than a guy like like a Russell or even like Kyler or someone who's like, ah, damn, we got to bail on this thing so I can do something else. You know, it's like OCs value stuff like that because, like, the script is so important to them. I mean, they script the first 15 plays of every game. Just, they don't let the quarterback wing it, right? They like to have a plan and have the plan executed. So I could – very much see them trading up for Mac, and I actually think that is what they will do.
0: All right, and uh, Kevin, do you have any uh, quick thoughts on these court uh, quor- this quarterback uh, situation in San Francisco with Mac Jones, or or uh, it seems like it's Jones or Fields, right? They sent the rest of their guys to see Justin Fields.
3: Yeah, and I think it's um. So the the thing I have trouble with with Mac Jones is, like exactly what Mike said about him being the guy that'll run the offense the way that it's tuned up the way that the play is drawn up, I think that's definitely his strength. But I just don't know if that's the guy that you trade up to three for. Like, as a Seahawks fan, I'll be kind of excited if they ended up taking Jones there, just because I feel like the alternative, like, if you take Trey Lance, you know, you might be getting uh, a really, really high ceiling player. You might be getting, like, Josh Allen or something like that, because I feel like his ceiling's really, really high. But his floor is really low. And you could say similar things about Fields. Where he could be a a really top end quarterback, but you, you know you can see, see where fast, it breaks bottom end too. Do
0: you see how fast Justin Fields' forty was? He ran a It It's the second fastest forty for a for a quarterback uh, ever. That's well, nuts. You know it's a pro day forty, so like and I I don't want to question it because they did say they were going to be more serious about the. uh the pro day times this year but he's six foot three like he's not a small guy running a four that's fast that's really fast
3: yeah and so like that that's what i'm saying is like we're talking about two dynamic playmakers and so you know every draft pick is like a lottery ticket right and you're like okay I could be turning this in and it's worth a buck or i could be turning in it it's worth you know the jackpot and i feel like if you're buying you know fields or you're buying lance that's the kind of lottery ticket you have but if you're buying, like, Mac Jones with the lottery ticket, that it's like, I really want to spend the number three pick to figure out if Mac Jones is, you know, is he Mike Glennon or is he Derek Carr? Which, <laughs> on a rookie yeah. deal, that's valuable for roster building. But, like, is that the guy that you trade up to three for? Because they gave up a lot of draft capital in order to get that. And people, people are bagging on our cornerbacks,
0: but they need to look at the 49ers cornerback depth chart because that is, like... They need to be Richard Sherman. Uh, anyway, all right, we've been we've been grinding the tape. So one thing I like to do uh, and I know Mike you had your uh your seven round mock draft and I have to ask you was it f- more fun to do a seven round mock draft when we only have 3 picks? Was that like better for you as a <laughs> I've, is it better or worse? Like it's less stuff you have to to think about but also like it's only 3 picks, right? It's like not as exciting. Uh
2: well, I really hate mock drafts um just because <laughs> I'm not Okay, so I'm a pull Back the curtain for a little bit. So, people who you cover the NFL and you follow NFL writers, you understand that like we get our film from Game Pass, it's a site, gamepass.com. I, I get the same one, right? It's a centralized location for all NFL film of every player. College is not like that. So, mm-hmm. if you want film of a kid from Georgia, you have to go call Georgia and they have to just give you the film or not. They can tell you to fuck off.
0: Wait, wait, because, you don't, you, know, you don't, wait, time out. You don't go on YouTube and type justin fields versus clemson all (laughs) plays like i do you have you call you call ohio state or whatever to try to get the film because like what i do is i just go on youtube and i'm like uh player name all versus team all plays and usually there's a video that will just be a cut up of like all the one players plays and 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 you you can get some
2: stuff like that for the guys at the top of the draft and even maybe some guys in lower in the first round but like If you're trying to fill out a seven rounder, like hey, I need somebody to pick 186, right? There's not going to be some cut up with some (laughs) random receiver from, you know, North Dakota State, right? I'm gonna have to just go find that. And so, so he said, "Do I call Georgia? No, I don't call any school because that's just not my bag. That's why we hired Dane Brugler at the athletic to do all (laughs) that for us. Ted Wynn and even Arif Hassan, like guys like that, who are much better at it." Than me. So that's why I hate mock drafts because to really be good at them, I think you have to be someone who watches tape. You have to be. Mm-hmm. And because college makes it so hard to watch tape, like there's it, a different process for getting tape of a guy from Florida State and UCLA, and Northwestern and Syracuse and Michigan State because it's, it's not centrally located. It's just a hassle. So it's like I'm not going to have to just chase down hours and hours of tape to produce this seven round mock draft that you guys are going to yell at me for anyway. Whether the Seahawks have <laughs> 10 picks or four picks that is a poor use of my time for me to just ultimately be wrong in a month anyway.
0: Yeah. well, Yeah. The Seahawks never going to pick who we expect. Uh, I think I've been right about like one Seahawks pick ever. Did you, did you have anybody that you saw though, when you're writing that article that you thought like, Oh man, this is a really great player. Like you're, were you, was he what I like to call draft crushes.
2: Yeah. Um, I liked, uh, I liked Kate Johnson, the slot receiver from South Dakota state. Um, I thought he was really shifty, really explosive. I actually, just showed uh, some of his tape to Chris on Saturday. Actually, when we were playing flag football. I was like, Chris, check this guy out. He's nice. Um, the other dude from South Carolina. I don't know how to say his first name. It's pronounced. It's it's spelled S H I. I don't know how he says it. Uh, probably shy, maybe. Um, shy Smith, uh, another shifty slot receiver, which I think they need. Um, I like a late round guy, the D D N from Iowa chauncey is his first name more of like a lj collier type just like less expensive more of a run stopper first and if he develops into like a a pass rusher from the inside that'd be dope uh, as well and i have fallen in love with two corners um the kid from syracuse who has an african name that i cannot pronounce and then the corner from oregon state his uh, uh nashon wright i think is his name like the. Of all the guys, I, I can't pick any linemen because like that's tape. I for sure ain't grinding. But like of those, uh, of the DBs and the receivers, I I, I kind of like all those guys.
0: And the 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 Syracuse cornerback, I think it's, I think it's Milla. Okay, I don't even want to try it. But
2: yeah, Milla. Hey, try it too and get Kevin, it wrong. Kevin, Kevin knows, well, knows Faku Milla. Yeah, he uh, watches so, this guy was, watches so
0: much college football. His, his brother brother's in the was, league uh, though too.
3: In the league too. He came out of UConn a couple years back. So
0: he uh, but he one thing I do when I, when I, so when I start doing this, I try to like pick, you know, I try to make, I have this spreadsheet and I put the videos in there and stuff. And the one thing I do for the cornerbacks is once I get the arm lengths, I just delete everyone who has short arms. So like to make it easier for me, because I know the Seahawks aren't going to draft them anyway. You know, it's like a strategy that I used to save time, but yeah, he has long arms and he's really good. I agree. So, um, uh, Kevin, what are some, dra- what's some draft crushes you got with some guys that you like?
3: Okay. With a five man booth, I'm not going to cheat and do 40 guys like I normally do. So I actually did do two this time. Yes. So on offense. Uh, so I picked a couple guys cause I think there's a good chance we slide back into like the early third or kind of pick up a pick that's in the early fourth if we trade back or something. So mm-hmm. a couple guys I think could be around like round three, uh, Tylan Wallace out of Oklahoma state, um, could be anywhere from where we're actually picking to like early round three. And he's a guy who. Like, he just tracks the ball really well deep. Um, he, if we're trying to take a guy who can fill the role that we're losing with, uh, with Demo leaving, then I think he's a guy who could step into that role and provide uh, a lot of the same type of production. And so he's, he's a really interesting receiver to me. And then another guy, another really long 6'3 cornerback, uh, Benjamin St. Juiced out of Minnesota. Is a guy that I really like. I think he has a lot of athleticism. And a lot of the types of things that he struggles with are the types of things that I think Pete Carroll is really good at coaching. This defensive coaching staff is really good with. And so he's a guy, he's got some injury concerns and some other things that are probably going to bump him back a little bit in the draft. But I think his raw tools are uh, what the Seahawks like. All right, Chris. Chris,
0: you've been watching any any draft stuff? Do you have any guys that you're on the lookout for?
4: Oh, yeah, of course. There's, I still want to... Still want some help in the, on the O-line, and one guy that stands out to me who I think could still be available in the fourth round is Drake Jackson. I mean, the, the name alone is pretty fire. Drake Jackson, I'm with it. Yep. But he, he offers an opportunity that if Ethan Posick, for whatever reason, just isn't the guy, which they paid him to be, he can come in and really show his worth to this team. He's a little undersized from what I've been reading, but – His ability to take on bigger guys and use his size and strength accordingly is what stands out to me. And if he can come in and compete at center, which Pete loves, guys that can compete, I think this would be a good sign. And maybe they can move him around. I mean, the Seahawks are not afraid of putting guys anywhere on the offensive line if they can help. And I think that would be really cool to see if they're able to go out and get this center out of Kentucky. And then DB-wise, there's Paulson. At out of Stanford, I hope I'm saying his last name right, but he matches pretty much with the arm length and the height. Six one, just under two hundred pounds. Great length, as I mentioned. He's physical, so he's someone that can get up in you. Although, of course, the Seahawks play a lot of cover three, so I'm not sure how physical he needs to be. But going up against bigger receivers, I think that would definitely be a benefit. Especially now you look at the NFC West, and wow, it's stacked now with all these receivers mm-hmm. with the Cardinals. I mean, you look at what eight interceptions, 27 passes defense during the 2018 and I want to say 2019 seasons. So I think I know he didn't play last year, he opted out, which was probably the best move just because of COVID and everything. But had he it, assuming he stayed in the gym, working out, doing all the right things, I think that's someone the Seahawks should definitely look at. And then another one would be another DB Israel Mukoamu, DB out of South Carolina. He's all he's about 6'3. So another guy that is tall, lanky, and he also is physical and he could be a guy that in the nickel package, he might be able to slide in the slot. I know it's weird to see guys that are tall in the slot, but he has that he has that gift where he can move and he, he can actually do it. But if not, I mean, I could you could definitely put him outside. You have that opportunity and you look at the DB room with the Seahawks, it's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting. So why not bring in you know, someone in the seventh round, if he's even around that long, that can come in and compete right off the bat.
0: All right. Since we're low on time, I'm only going to do one. But I wanted to pick the person that is most the most fun to watch, the, the biggest party for for you. So if you want to have the most fun watching college tape you can possibly have, you watch Javante Williams running back from North Carolina. And I know people are going to groan. They're going to be like, oh, running back, Pete Carroll running back. Uh, they're, <laughs> I, I can hear you already. Through the through the headphones, but this guy broke seventy five tackles last year. He was first in the nation, and he split time. He wasn't even a full time running back. He only had one hundred and fifty seven carries. He basically is like, uh, like small small Derrick Henry, or maybe uh, a bigger. I don't know who's a bruising back. He ran a kind of a slowerish 44, 455. I five, I think was a little less than people expected. So I'm hoping he falls and is able to uh to to get to us because this guy is a violent runner. Uh just he always picks violence reminds me of chris carson to be honest uh chris kind of just a style of runner that he just destroys people and i i love him so much and like what the tape is just so great it's such a fun tape watch and so that's my suggestion is go watch javante williams all right uh we are now at the uh the money zone section where we plug things so uh mike do you have anything that you want to uh, plug right now
2: uh just our seahawks our Seahawks man-to-man podcast um when is when is this coming out
0: we, we just released, I'll probably put it up like 10 tonight. So like Tuesday night, Monday morning. It's literally Wednesday, uh, Wednesday morning, Wednesday morning, Wednesday morning. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Tuesday yeah, night, so Wednesday morning.
2: Wednesday morning, Chris yeah. and I got an interview with a Seahawk uh, drop in uh, on The Athletic, on Spotify, Apple, on our new YouTube channel, Seahawks Man to Man. So that's, that's the thing I want to plug. Go check that out. Please appreciate it. Yeah, like, like, comment and subscribe. I'm already subscribed, so uh, I'm ready. I, I love
0: that. So you guys are pivoting to video a little bit too. Is that has, how's that been? Do you do you like it better, or is it wh- is it weird? Like, what do you what do because we always talk about doing it. Like, oh, should we get webcams and do videos? And what do you, what do you think of it?
2: Uh, I I like it for the peel back the curtain a little bit here. It's very hard to get like some high profile guys to do. Um, media obligations now because there's so many of them. The market market saturated. So in a lot of ways you have to make it like uh beneficial to them. Uh but it's hard to do that if you're just like a local podcast, not like a national show. But one advantage is like if you're a younger guy and you just want people to see who you are. You know what I mean? Like how many people outside of Seattle don't know what like LJ Collier looks like. You know what I mean? That's why you saw him on like Good Morning Football and all this other stuff. So when you have video, it's it's like there's some incentive for guys to be like, oh you know what I can convince my agent and my marketing team that that is a good look for me to just get my face out there and just be personable and market myself. Um, Whereas that opportunity is not as available on a show where it's just audio. So that for that part, selfishly to grow our own brand. I like (laughs) that part of it. That's awesome.
4: All right. uh, Chris, do you have anything you want to advertise? I mean, Mike, he hit on it. So I'll plug my homies in L.A., Hoops and Brews. I don't know if you heard of them, but they cover everything basketball. They cover the Los Angeles Clippers, so make sure you check them out. And, of course, yes, Seahawks Man to Man. We are now on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe. We got some heat dropping tomorrow. I think everybody's really going to enjoy it, especially with the guests we have. So tap into that. Also, rate, review the podcast on Apple iTunes, and make sure you're tapped in on The Athletic as well.
0: Yeah, so in addition to that, there are many ways to support the Seahawks and this podcast. The best way to do so, head over to only twelves.com click anywhere on your screen and you'll find our Patreon uh, join the join the discord get in the conversation and uh, for as little as a dollar 24 month also get access to our goofy jokes BS podcast that we do on our Patreon. on our Patreon. also our monthly there. holidays in the offseason yeah the, the, it's literally 15 minutes of like one-liners that I spend time writing it's not it's not a it, it's a it is what it is all right so People I'm seem proud. to enjoy it, so I am not gonna. I am not gonna stop doing it, but uh, but yes. Uh, also, yeah. Review iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you find your podcast, give it five stars. It sp- helps people find the show. All right. Movie well, real quick,
3: just to give some love to the man to man, I know that we all listen, and you know they're uh, apparently they're not gonna they're not gonna their own horn too much. So I'll just say, if you want to really feel like you have a good idea about the pulse of the team from like a beat writer perspective, I think it's a really cool way to. Um, to really feel like, like from a personal emotional side, like understanding what's going on with the team. It's a really cool way of looking at sports. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, so movie club, I always let the, the guest pick the movie. And so Christopher picked the movie today. So Christopher, why don't you, uh, Christopher, you picked American skin and you said you wanted everyone to watch this movie. So what, what did you want? Uh, why did you pick this movie?
4: Because it taps into the struggle of African-American males and even sometimes women, it just gives you an inside look of how things are happening in real time when someone gets pulled over, what to do, what not, to, especially when you're if you're a black male. There are certain protocols that you have to go through. And this movie depicts all of that in an hour and 45 minutes. And it is done beautifully. And of course, the ending is what, you know, I, to- I remember talking to Mike about it and I was like, to be honest, man, I thought this was going to go this way. But deep down, I knew what was going to happen. And that's society we live in. You would think times have changed, but we haven't gotten to that point. We need more people to talk about it and be about it. It's easy to talk about it and not make any action. But now we need action behind people talking about it. And and this movie really taps into that. And if you have time, I would recommend checking it out because you'll really see what it's like. And I'm I'm sure there's other films out there that have done it, but this one... It just takes it to, a ne- to the next level. And Mike can attest yeah. to that.
0: One one thing, um, uh, two. from this point forward, I think we're going to have spoilers. So if you don't want to be spoiled, like you don't want to hear anything that happens, like don't uh, go watch, turn the podcast off, go watch the movie, and then come back. Because I think mm-hmm. from this point forward, we'll probably talk about things that happen in the movie. Uh, so one thing I connected with really when I was watching this, one, I'm a dad. So I have two kids, three and, and one. And I, I just like really like that, the idea like that, like that feeling that like I got watching him, like he couldn't protect his family. I just couldn't imagine that. And I just like, I don't know. It was like, it was really uh, emotional. And for me, and then I see like, you know, the, the trial of Derek Chauvin for the murder of George Floyd started yesterday. Right. And so like connecting it to that um, current event and like, the way the this is why I'm saying spoilers are coming in, because the way the movie ended, where he got shot and then immediately like he went on trial instead of the cop in the news clips that they showed yeah. is the exact same thing that's happening in this court case where like the guy who murdered someone is not the person who's on trial right now. They the all the news stories are about George Floyd still and what he did or what the bystander guy was yelling at the cop. It's like none of that stuff matters. Like who is on trial here? And so like I I really like kind of I thought it was, like you said,
2: it's a very uh,
0: timely movie, and I, I really uh, thought it was good. Mike, what did you think of the movie?
2: Uh, no, I, th- I thought it was uh, excellent. I'm a huge uh, movie guy. Um, so, yeah, I thought I thought it was amazing. There was, t- there was three things that stood out. I'll try to keep it succinct. Uh, the first thing is that it forecasts the inevitable um, if the disease is not treated. And I think that's very important, too, because you get some movies about race in America and there's like some like lovable sort of ending or like the person ends up in jail or the people end up protesting. And then there's just like some type of ending. The hate you give as a film is like another example. But like an American skin, it forecasts, you know, what will happen once you push people to the edge, there are consequences there and they won't be pretty. They will be ugly and they will be uncontrollable. Um, and I think that's very important. Um, and Nate Parker, the star of that movie, said it in the interview, he's like, yeah, if you, uh, man, he uses some fancy language that I can't uh, regurgitate off the top of my head. But it, it was essentially like, yeah, you push people to the edge, like, they'll turn into killers, right? It's very like, like that rap line, don't push me, I'm close to the edge, right? Like, all right, Wayne said, I'm not a killer, but don't push me. You know, it's very it's very similar to that. And I think that's important to note, because if we keep trending down this path, it won't be a bunch sure. of... Uh, IG posts and hashtags, it'll it'll be a lot, a lot worse. Um, the sec the second thing is that it normalized the like quote unquote opposing view that you hear right now, all the bad faith arguments, you know, anti BLM like sentiments. It normalizes them. It doesn't it doesn't present them as like caricatures of like racists for lack of a better term. It like it normalizes that every it could be your neighbor who would say, like, yeah, of course the police shoot you, you listen to hip hop. You know, like that's a regular rebuttal you'll hear arguing with someone on Twitter or someone at the damn post office. right? But you wouldn't you wouldn't think that that's such a bad thing, but it amplifies that. and just puts it in a normal space, lets you hear it and realize, oh, wow, that's dumb as shit to blame rap lyrics on extra yeah. uh, on like killings of black people by the government. Right. So that's dumb. Um, So I'm, I like the way it presented those arguments, not to just like buffoons, but like, no. This how normal you sound saying that. Now nah, here's how stupid you sound saying it. And the third thing is just like how we treat people who come back from the military. I think that's a very underrated part uh, about American society. Is that like, yo, yeah, sure, red, white, and blue, whatever, go America. We treat people like shit when they come back from over there, giving their lives, especially black people yeah. when they get over there, giving their lives. So all three of those elements, I thought, were really, really good. On top of Nate Parker just killing it as the lead.
0: Oh yeah, his the the two. Um... The two lead actors, I thought both gave like the, the cop, the, you know, I want to say bad guy cop. I don't know what else to put it though. Cause I don't know any of the characters' names. I always, this is a problem I have, but the, they both gave really a, emotional performances that I thought really like held the movie together. Um, so uh, Kevin, what, what did you, what did you think? What were your thoughts on the movie?
3: Yeah, I think the two things that were really strong to me uh, and I think Christopher and Mike hit on them pretty well. Uh, so I'll be repeating a little bit, but one was it had that kind of like slow motion car crash feel where you knew what was going to happen and you could kind of see things coming. And that part of it kind of reminded me of like Fruitvale Station, uh, if you've ever seen that, um, which like you know where the events are going, but you can't turn away and you're you're watching kind of what feels like an inevitable like bad outcome, dark situation, and so I thought that part was really uh, was really well done. And I thought the other one, um, the other point about you know if justice systems fail, if systems in general fail, then you know people are going to start acting outside of those systems. Um, you know, if if you don't have any faith or trust or reason to have faith or trust or belief in What's supposed to be there to help you? Then you know, at some point, people won't. And so, a situation like that feels, you know, inevitable. Without change happening one way, you know, without without change occurring, change is going to be made to occur. And so, I thought those were those were two really, um, really poignant parts of the movie. Uh, I thought that the exchanges between Link and Officer Randall. When he was on trial in the police station, I thought those had a lot of power, Um, and like the moments where they moved away from it, like it it did almost feel a little cheesy. But like you know, but then it would go back to like that main driving point of the movie, and that was that was a powerful, poignant piece.
0: Have you have you guys seen Fruitvale Station? Mike, Chris, have you seen that movie? It's it's kind of it's I I have
2: not just because I don't. Like you guys said, I know how it ends and I just don't want to infuriate myself. Yeah, that's hard.
0: That it's mad. Yeah, um, it will make you mad. Um, yeah. I, I will just say this. Comparing Fruitvale Station to American Skin is like one thing I I came with. It's like in Fruitvale Station, Ryan Coogler used Super 16 camera. This is such a dorky thing to say. I, I feel like such a, a nerd <laughs> for even talking about this. But like he used Super 16 cameras to like d- create an effect. And I think it was like a really like strong filmmaking mood. And I didn't totally love like the found footage aspect of of american skin so like i I, and like in my head i couldn't stop comparing those two things and it like and then i was like you know what i just need to enjoy this movie for what it is because like why am i trying to compare everything to everything else but like i would highly recommend fruitvale station if you like american skin to you guys it's a i mean you you know how it ends you know oscar Oscar grant's a real person so like you you don't you already know what happened um but yeah it's michael b jordan it's like a powerhouse performance by him
1: i feel like i'm Um, the only i was the only one here at least on our podcast, who'd never seen Fruitvale Station, so I came in not having to compare it in that way. And like you said, Nathan, I I also didn't like the found footage. I didn't like the way it was shot per se, but it ended open. Uh, you know, no resolution, which is where we are in society. It's a crossroads. That's what I like most about the movie. Is uh, I don't know. It's it's what every like quote unquote film should do, and that was probably my favorite part of it. Yeah. It's ask, ask a big question and yeah. not expect a perfect
0: answer. Um, yeah, I, um, yeah. So this is like a big tonal shift from the normal movies we cover. Cause like next week we'll probably do Godzilla versus Kong. So it's like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so you know, it's a little different, but I'm, but I'm glad you guys, uh, you guys brought it in. I thought I, like I said, I thought it was really good. So, uh, that's it for, uh, for Mike, for Chris, for Eric, for Kevin, we will see you all next week and go Hawks.